Amen. Amen. Yeah, this is the amen corner over here. All right. Well, we are blessed with such a great Lord. And we are so blessed, we don't even know we're so blessed as much as we're blessed because uh, the times get rough and tough, we start shaking and we start forgetting. We take our eyes off of the unseen, we fix on the seen, and there we go. We start getting tossed to and fro like the rest of the world. But it should not be. As Christians, we are loved, cared for by the loving Father God who sent His Son to die for our sins so that we would not have to pay the penalty for our guilt, who gave His Holy Spirit so that we would not have to put it all in our efforts into something we couldn't do, which is fix ourselves. But He provided everything through the good news of the gospel. He provided the now and the evermore in which we are safe from all the storms that are happening, the shaking that's going on, and all the threats and trials that seem to get in the way as we move forward in life. And yet, with all this love surrounding us, providing for us, taking care of us, and having done all, like sending His Son to the cross for us so that we could have eternal life, we still get shaken up. Why? Because we are in the flesh still. We are in the natural And it's easy to move from walking in the spirit to walking in the flesh. It's just a common thing that we have to deal with in this life. So, my title of uh, what I'm going to be speaking about today is, What Are You Looking At? Because what you are looking at can make all the difference in what I've just talked about. In giving in to what's happening around you, or within you, or whatever. Or looking at what the reality is in the Spirit and what you have been blessed and provided for in Christ. And it's called, What Are You Looking At? It's not called, What Are You Looking At? <laughs> I, was, I thought that would be a good title, but I, I'm going to keep it at, What Are You Looking At? So, how do we look at things? You know, uh, it's often you're looking at the problem that's facing you, the challenge that's facing you, But in Matthew 14, verse 30 to 31, Peter was called out. There was was a, uh, a storm at sea, or the winds were really moving strongly at sea. And they saw Jesus walking on the water towards them. They thought it was a ghost, but he said, Be of good cheer, it is I. And Peter said, If it's you, tell me to come and I'll come out to you. And so Peter actually got out of the boat, walked on water, and it says, but when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? So this is an amazing story with a miracle. There's actually two miracles here. One is that Peter actually walked on the water. But the other miracle is that he began to sink. How's that a miracle? Well, did you ever think about it? You don't begin to sink. If you're going to sink, you just go, (laughs) that's it. But he began to sink. So that is a strange phrase in this story here. But I believe it's very powerful in that we see that God is not going to let us just drop 
in any circumstance. You, you may feel like you're sinking, but you're not sinking because a sink goes down like that. You, it's a beginning to sink. And Jesus is not going to let anyone who responds to his come. He's not going to let anyone who responds to his word go down like that. Now, there are times when you will start to feel it. And, and God in his grace will reach down as Jesus reached down and saved Peter. All it takes is a turning back and calling to him. But as long as we're responding to the word, Jesus says, come, and we're responding and we're looking to him, he's going to save us even when we get distracted. But we can save ourselves a lot of anxiety, a lot of troubles, a lot of despair if we learned how to look at him and not get distracted by the wind and the waves. And this is a hard thing to learn, but it can be learned. That's what we're going to talk about today. It can be learned. You know, I've been talking about discipleship, and discipleship is a process in which we are growing towards an end to become more like Christ. But here's one thing about discipleship a lot of people may get confused about. They think of discipleship as simply a, uh, a growing in holiness and a developing your character and learning how to say no to sin and things. And that is a part of discipleship. Uh, but a lot of people cut it off there, and it's all about growing in holiness. But a major part of discipleship that should not be neglected is how to live by faith. How to live by faith. In uh, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 7, is it? Yeah, verse 7, it, uh, Paul said, We walk by faith and not by sight. We walk by faith and not by sight. So as we grow, we have a secret weapon. And this secret weapon can get rid of all your stress, all your fears, all your insecurities, anxiety, loneliness. The secret weapon is walking by faith. And this is what Peter was doing as he stepped out of the boat. He was walking by faith. He, he responded to what Jesus said. And that's the first step. We respond to what the word says and we get out of the boat. That means we get out of our comfort zone. We get out of our security zone and we trust in the Lord. We say, okay, if it's you, I believe I can do this. And you can. You can actually walk on water. And when, now don't go out to a swimming pool or lake and say, well, the pastor said I can do this. Now you have to have a word from the Lord that it's, it's okay. But there's lots that the Lord has given you in this book that you can get out of your comfort zone, out of your, your this is the way I've always done it, mentality. And, and I like walking in between these things here. It's just, I'm, I'm taller than them. <laughs> um, but I know it might be distracting, so I'll get back over here. Um, but you can walk like that, and you can move forward even when it seems impossible. And that's what Peter was doing. But he... He got carried away. He started looking at the wind and the waves. And that's what we often do. It's the focus that will bring the fixing. Is anybody in a fix right now? Uh, we are often finding ourselves in a fix, but it's the focus that brings the fixing. It's the, it's the focus that will fix you, that will keep you afloat. And you can move forward. But often, it's so easy to be distracted. Now, I, this reminded me of 
when we were leaving China. We were in China for 18 years, and uh, it was time to come home. It was one of the largest crises of faith I've ever had in my life, and, and I thought that way anyway, but I've since then had larger crises of faith. Um, but at that time, it was the largest crisis of faith because we knew we were supposed to leave China, but we didn't know where we were supposed to end up. And it was getting down to the wire, and we had to buy tickets to go back to America, and we had no place to, I mean, we had a place to land, but we didn't have a place to where we were going to end up. We were going to travel for a little bit and things. So I got a family to care for, and I need to know what's next on our, on our journey. And there was nothing. I wasn't hearing anything. And there were times when I just thought, where are you, Lord? And again, it's not where are you, it's who are you, Lord? It's the Lord who cares. It's the Lord is my helper. It's the Lord who will not let you sink. Um, But I had learned what to do. And I had learned to focus on him. And what I did is I focused on some promises, some very great promises in the word of God. There is a promise for anything you're going through, for any problem you have, there's a promise that you can dig up out of that word and take and focus on. It's almost like uh, using the camera. You know, when you do a lens, you can see the problem in the foreground and you can't see the promise. But if you adjust the lens, the problem in the foreground can become blurred and you're focused on the promise and that's what you're shooting for and you go forward. So I had the promises and uh, one of them was Jeremiah 29:11. I know the plans I have for you, plans of peace and not of evil, to, to give you an expected end. I was focusing on that promise saying, I don't know what's coming, but the Lord knows he has plans, and they're plans of peace and not of evil. It's an expected end. It's not a, a, a tragic surprise. And so that held me together. Uh, another one I used was Psalm 31, 19. Uh, in the Psalms it says, Oh, how great is the goodness the Lord has laid up for those who put their trust in him, for those who fear him before the sons of man. And I said, okay, I don't know what's ahead. It looks like there's nothing, but there's goodness. How great is the goodness the Lord has laid up? And then there's other promises. I had a whole list of them. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your understanding. And all these things just gave me the victory, and I was powerful. I was walking on water all the way home. No, no, <laughs> no, no. In fact, you know, that's the way it should be. But I wasn't there yet. I wasn't there yet. And it wasn't quite as wonderful and victorious as I'd like to say it was. However, it was victory. Because those promises held me together. Those promises kept me afloat. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't flying, but I was floating. I wasn't sinking. I felt like I was beginning to sink, but I knew I wasn't going to go under. You know, without those promises at that time and in subsequent times, without the promises, I'd crack up. I'm just going to be honest with you. I, I would not hold together. It's the promises that keep me standing. It's the promises that keep me going. It's the focus that brings the fixing. And, you know, sometimes it's easier than others and other times it takes some serious squinting. You know, you can't see something and you've got to squint until you get it. You've got to look, look for it and not give up. You might need to put on some cheaters, some uh, reading glasses or something to see it. Be- you've got to do whatever it takes. It's going to take some effort. Sometimes it's easy. Sometimes the light's on. I can see everything clearly. Other times I've got to do something, get in position where I can see better. But 
the promises always prevail. The promises will always provoke us to walk in faith and to get victory. In 1 John 5, it says this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. So in Psalm 25, 15, David instructs us here. It says, my eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet from out of the net. My eyes, what are you looking at? Are they toward the Lord or are they toward your net? I asked if anybody was in a fix. Is anybody in a net? Sometimes we find ourselves in a net and we're getting all entangled. And if you're like me, you start trying to fix the net and it's trying to work on how you're going to get out of this net and it just gets more and more tangled up. You can't do it. I can't do it. But he says, if our eyes are toward the Lord, God shall pluck our feet from the net. Just like Peter's eyes were toward Jesus and he was able to move forward, as long as our eyes are on God, he's going to take care of it. And that's a freeing thing. It's a liberating thing. It's a powerful thing because now the pressure's off of me. All I got to do is keep my eyes focused on the Lord. He's going to take care of the issue. He's going to take care of the net that I'm in. And... uh, How do you do this? Well, we're going to go into this now. Ready? Ready to take notes? Here's how you keep your eyes on the Lord. And it's going to be in three categories here. A very simple way to remember it. Choosing, refusing, and then choosing and refusing. Okay? Very simple. But this is a... If you can get a hold of this, it can keep you from cracking up. And it can put you on the higher route. It can, it can help you be growing as a disciple in the faith walk. And as you grow in faith, that will take care of your holiness. As I've said before, the very righteousness of Christ is already on the inside of those who have put their faith in him. Righteousness is a gift of faith. But you're not going to experience righteousness without faith. So we grow In discipleship, we grow learning how to walk by faith. And the first step in this is choosing to keep our eyes focused on the Lord. In Deuteronomy 30, verse 19, it says, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. See, there is a wonderful grace and mercy of God here. This is, you know, Moses was speaking for the Lord, and he's saying, I call heaven and earth witness. Here's the choice before you today. That God even gives us a choice is is merciful and gracious. We don't deserve anything from the Lord. We don't deserve his goodness. We don't deserve to have a choice. He created us. He made us. He can give us the demands, and he has the power to do so. He could make us all puppets on his string. He could do whatever he wants with us, but he has given us the power and the freedom to make choices. And that's that's gracious, that's merciful, and that's kind, and that's loving. Unfortunately, it doesn't bode well with the majority of the human race because we choose wrongly. We all make poor choices. And... The grace and mercy of God is that he doesn't want us to make those poor choices. So there it is. He says he even gives you the answer to the 
problem here. He says, therefore, choose life. It's like he's not only given the choice, but he's given you the encouragement. I want you to choose life. I want this for you. And we, we just uh, were slow to take him up on it. But it's not just a one-time choice that you make. A lot of people will present the gospel as a one-and-done deal. Choose life. Choose Jesus. Get your sins forgiven. Okay, I choose Jesus. I thank you. You be my Lord and Savior. You rose from the dead. Now I'm going to heaven. That's the good news of the gospel. But that's only the first step on the journey of discipleship. Every day we have a choice laid before us. Every day God is cheering us on saying, choose life. I have set before you life and death. You've got the road map to life right here in this book. You've got all the instructions to life. He's saying, choose life. And what do we do? Well, we still make poor choices. But it's not just even in those steps of obedience or, or you know, what am I going to do with what the Word says, but it's, it's once we know the Word, once we're in obedience, we have to make the choice of now, are we going to focus on the Lord in this situation? Can I choose to keep my eyes on the Lord so he can pluck my feet from the net? And a lot of people don't think they can have a choice. They say, well, God is sovereign. He's just going to do what he's going to do. And, and you just got to resolve and let the chips fall where they may. And that's not it. He says, choose. And you can choose where your thoughts go. You can choose whether or not you're going to try to take matters in your own hands and fix yourself. Or you're going to give it to the Lord and rest and be at peace. I uh, was going to Boston one time on a trip to speak at a Chinese church up there, actually. And uh, I had an early flight out of Nashville. I spent the night in Nashville, had an early flight out of Nashville, and went through security and everything, put my computer, my laptop through security, got everything else through security, got on the plane, went to Boston, landed in Boston, and as I'm walking out, out into the airport, I noticed that my backpack is a lot lighter than it usually is. And I said, wait a second. And I looked, and, and my laptop I had left back in Nashville. There it is, my laptop back in Nashville with my life on it, with all my secure passwords and my, my works, my writing, my, my plans, my schedule, all these things. You know how it is. Your life is on your phone now, right? No, you ought to make a backup. Always have a backup. And I have a backup, yes, but then, I, then you get the fear of, well, who's got access to my laptop now? And are, if someone finds it, are they going to be honest? And, bring, you know, all these, anyway, you know the heart-sinking feeling that I'm talking about that I was confronted with as I realized my backpack was lighter and I'm walking through the Boston airport. And at that time, I was listening to a guy preaching and he had told a story about how... Uh, a frivolous lawsuit had come against him. And, uh, and he said, I decided that we weren't going to make a drama out of this and we were not going to give speech to this in any negative form and that we were going to trust the Lord and, and I wasn't going to fuel the anxiety about this with my words or giving the devil any credit for uh, making me go nuts. <laughs> so to speak. And he told this story and eventually it worked out and everything. And so I just ran with that. I ran with what I had just heard. I said, you know, this could ruin my whole weekend. I could be stewing about my lost laptop this whole time. 
I could not be engaging with my hosts and my uh, guests that I'm, I'm eating with or, or speaking to and things like that. I could let it ruin my weekend. I could start to share with each person I meet, how's it going? Well, I lost my laptop, and then I could have a pity party and just create this dark cloud over the whole weekend. And I just went, followed this guy, what I just heard. I said, nope, I'm not going to do that. I'm, gonna, I'm just not going to make a job. I'm choosing not to make a drama out of this. And I'm just saying, Lord, you know, my life is in your hands, and I'll trust the laptop. And, you know, what's, what's going to happen? You know, what can't the Lord fix? So I didn't even, I talked to Jennifer on the phone. I didn't even tell her about it until I got home. But what happened, oh, I first I called in Boston. I said, hey, I couldn't say hey because there was nothing but recording. So I had to wait all weekend not knowing anything about this laptop. So Monday, when I came back, the good news is it was still in security, and I got my laptop back, and hallelujah, praise the Lord, it wasn't tampered with, and everything's fine, right? But you say, well, what happened if, if you never got it back then? Well, here's, here's what happens if I didn't get it back, if things didn't work out that way, if that guy did go through his lawsuit, well, then we'd have to deal with something, but at least we didn't have to deal with it longer, you know how you start to worry about something? You're adding to the torment. I mean, and usually what we worry about and get anxious about doesn't come to pass. So we have wasted that much energy in our lives, giving into fear, insecurity, and torment for something that doesn't come to pass. Well, what if it does come to pass? If it does come to pass, we've still wasted energy because we couldn't change anything about it anyway, and we could have been enjoying this time without the fear torment and anxiety. Amen? So, it's a choice we have to make how we're going to think and what we're going to do with our cares. 1 Peter 5.7 says, casting your care upon him because he cares for you. And this is a great truth here too. The grace and mercy of God gives us a choice, but it's not just a, a I don't care what you do. He cares. He cares what you do. So he says, choose. Choose life. Choose the right way. But now, what are you going to do with your cares? What are you going to do with the struggle in your mind right now? Cast them on the Lord. Cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. And this is a difficult thing to do, right? Because what happens is we'll say, okay, Lord, here's the care. And then we walk away and then we say, nope, I'm going to take it right back. That's what normally happens, isn't it? We, I'm giving this care to the Lord. I'm going to trust. I'm going to pray about it. I prayed about it. Okay. But then I start thinking about it again, and it's just it keeps coming back. That's like I heard. I don't think I made this up. I think I got it from someone, so uh, it's no plagiarism here. But my watch example, you give a watch to a watch repair. Say, I give it to Dave. Dave's an excellent watch repair guy. My watch is broken. It needs fixing. So I give it to him. But I'm not letting go. And now we're playing tug, and he's saying, let me fix it. I know what to do. Um, I'm still holding on to it. Well, I don't understand what you're going to do to it. I have to watch. I, maybe I can make suggestions to him. Here's what you, he said, would you just give it to me? As long as I'm holding on to it, it's not going to get fixed. But if I, I let him take it, and then in his time, he'll get it back. Thanks for giving that back. Um, and that's the way God can be glorified. Uh, the verse before this, actually, we don't have it, but it's humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may lift you up in due time. And a lot of people misread that verse and think that God's 
crushing them and humbling them. It's not saying God's humbling you. It says humble yourself. That means you're under something. You release it to him. You, you say, I'm not God. God, you're in control. I, and so you give it to him like the watch repair. And then he will take care of it in due time. He will lift you up. So that's what we have to choose. We have to choose to give these things to him and not take them back. Not take them back, well, that is the refuse part. The refuse. You have to resist when the temptation comes. And, oh, boy, does it come. Take it back. Or maybe God's not working after all. Or maybe... Maybe you were mistaken, or maybe God doesn't care about you after all. No, you refuse these things. That's not what the Word says. And you counter it with the, the Word says otherwise. I said we, came, we lived in China for 18 years, but then for a few years I was making trips back to China, and there was one trip coming in a, a November in which I had two major volatile situations I had to deal with. There were some major problems that caused me great worry as the months were leading up to this trip. And so the same thing, I had just read somebody, another preacher, you got to read good preachers, right? Um, and he said, you can refuse to worry, you can just refuse to worry. I said, no, you can't. And he said, yes, you can. <laughs> and so I, I would wake up at night with these worrying thoughts about these two situations. And so I decided, I woke up one night and I said, no, I refuse to worry about this. I'm rolling over, going back to sleep. And uh, it takes a little bit of effort. It's not like, okay, that's it. No, you have to really get your heart in position and say, I refuse to worry about this. There's no point in me worrying about this. Like I said, all it does is going to add torment. It's not something I can... Now, if if there's something you can do, that's good. But that's not going to cause you to worry. It's just going to be like, okay, good, I I got this. But worrying, no. And Jesus said, do not worry... The Lord knows you have need. So I refused to worry about it, it, but it was a conscious refusal. Just as you make a conscious choosing, you have to make a conscious refusing. So I had to say no. And sometimes you tell the devil, no, no. See, you can't control the birds that fly over your head, those thoughts and those temptations and, and those sinful things. But you don't have to build a nest for them. You can't control who's knocking on your door. The evil thoughts, the temptations, the worries, the sins. You can't control the the wicked things that come to your head knocking on the door, but you don't have to open the door and let them in. You can refuse them. We gave it the office. And I'm no longer working there. Amen? So that's, that's the point. Uh, those two things in China, one of them took care of itself before I even got there. Then the other one still hadn't been resolved, and I got there, and somebody said, what are you going to do about such and such thing? I said, I don't know, but I didn't stew over it. And the Lord worked it out. And I think sometimes it's just you give him a chance, like the watch repair, you give him a chance to work things out, and you're going to be amazed. It helps, helps build your faith. So the next one. Choosing and refusing. Hebrews 12.2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down 
at the right hand of the throne of God. Here there is choosing and refusing. Where, is, where are they? Well, the choosing part is the joy that was set before him. You choose the joy that is set before you, the joy of knowing that God loves you, the joy that God has plans for you, the joy that God has goodness laid up for you, that he cares and that he has wisdom and that he's able, that he has promises for us. And then you refuse. Where is it in this verse? Despising the shame of the cross. In other words, he had the cross, but the cross wasn't the focus that he was fixed on. He was despising that cross. He said, yeah, I'm going that cross, but I don't care about that. I mean, that cross, I'm not letting that take away the joy that's set before me. In fact, the joy that was set before him fueled him to go to the cross. See, what we look at can fuel our faith or it can destroy our faith. It's what we're looking at. What are we looking at? Are we looking at the Lord? Do we have the Lord before us? Are we looking at the joy before us? And are we looking unto Jesus? All these things I'm telling you about, you can't just say, well, God loves me and I'm looking to God. It has to be through Jesus Christ. Well, you know, what about David? David was wrote all these Psalms. Yeah, David was responding to the revelation of God through the law, through the prophets. In Hebrews chapter 1, it says, God in these last days has spoken to us through his Son. So there's no generic looking to God. You can't just go to, oh, well, God loves everyone. It's through Jesus. Jesus is the express communication of God. He is the one that went to the cross for you so that you may know God in a more personal and even more intimate manner than even David knew. Or Moses. Even these guys who perform these outrageous miracles, and yet by the Spirit we can be in a closer relationship with God because of the cross. Because Jesus died on the cross and was the Word of God, the revelation of the love of God, and the fix to our, our problems. And our main problem being death and damnation and judgment. But God went so far as to say, not only that, that I want to save you from, I care, and I want you to have life. I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. But the question is, are you going to focus on the life that the world is offering or the despair that the devil is knocking on your door with, or are you going to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith? Have you let him be the author of your faith? Have you said yes to him? Have you given your heart to him and said, I trust you, Lord, and I'm going to follow you. If so, you may feel like this problem, the devil's saying, I'm going to finish you. No, the problem's not my finisher. Jesus is my finisher. And the problem would finish me to destroy me. Jesus is finishing me to be a masterpiece of his grace, a perfection to the glory of God and the power of God now and in the age to come ruling with him forever and ever. That's what I want. And when I get down and when I'm looking at these things and my eyes start to spin like the kid in the jungle book looking at the snake. Anyone ever see that? I love that. That is so instructive because you know what happens? That Everybody starts getting seduced by this hypnotic snake that it makes their eyes spin and he, then they come under his power. And that's what our problems do to us. That's what the devil, that's what the temptations, that was, that's what the world is doing. But then there's the scene where the tiger comes in 
And the tiger's a lot stronger than that. And he's questioning the snake, and the snake says, look into my eyes or something like that. And he starts singing his hypnotic song. And if you recall, the tiger just flops him on the head and says, no, I don't have time for that nonsense. <laughs> That's how we as believers need to be, and, and we refuse it. We choose to look to Jesus. We refuse the nonsense. The world is telling you, your thoughts, your flesh is telling you, it can't be done, it's impossible, you're, you're sinking, you're sinking. You say, I don't have time for that nonsense. The Word of God says, and I got a, a living God that went to the cross, bled and died for me. He's not going to let me sink. In fact, that blood is the power of God, and, that, and my faith is the power of God unto salvation, confessing Him as Lord, not this problem as Lord, not this temptation as Lord. Jesus is Lord, and He's a better Lord than anything else. Amen. So what are you looking at? And you might be able to say the devil, what are you looking at? Punk, right? Well, you, you say, well, that's silly. Well, you do have authority if you'll believe it and, and you're in Christ. All these things are through Jesus. And he loves you and uh, he wants the best. So let's, uh, let's, let's look at the right thing. And we're going to continue in the next couple of weeks learning how to look at the spiritual and letting it be something that comes out in the natural. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've given us vision and we just confess, Lord, sometimes we don't see things clearly. We ask that you would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that you would move in our lives to help us see more and more the glory of yourself and the gospel you've given us. Help us, Lord, to, to grow in faith as we walk in, in discipleship of Jesus. And we give you praise and glory in his name. Amen.